Greetings and welcome to In the Finest Hour, a competitive 40k podcast featuring tips and tricks you can use in about an hour. I am your good host, Shaylin Allen, occasionally known as the Lady of Titan. And with me today, returning back by popular request, Eleanor Byler. Hi, guys. And new face, Jeffrey Hansen. Hello, hello, hello. Both of them are members of our Patreon chat, and they are here stepping in for... Well, let's just say Sean and Josh are now crushed underneath work rock for once. We'll leave it at that. Hope you two don't mind. Not at all. Nope. All right. Let's just start with kind of an icebreaker topic and warm you two up. I know Eleanor's podcasted a handful of times before, but this is new to Jeffrey's. So at the beginning of the year, kind of when the ITC season changes, I always look at my kind of long-term goals. Like, what what do I want to get out of this next season? And for a long time, it's been best of Grey Knights for me personally, but this season that wasn't realistic for me, so it was learn other codexes instead. And so far, I've started on Tau and Eldar, and I'm learning them. So I'm not as far in as I'd love to like to have been, but I am still working on it, and I am succeeding. How are you two up doing? So at the beginning of this year, in January, I started playing an entirely new army. I was a longtime Sisters of Battle player, but I didn't like the way that the beta codex played and so I decided for my personal happiness and just the way that I wanted to play the game was to start a new army. So I started Drukhari, took him to LVO, did awful, but my goal for the year was to master the army in a vague sense. Get comfortable, have some wins, do good do good at tournaments, which I think I've been successful in. I've Gone for and wanted a couple of GTs. Was ranked highly in the global Drukari stats, but the year is still young. <laughs> yeah, no. I last I checked, you were fourth place, which honestly, kudos to you, considering that's a new army. That is extremely impressive. Yeah, Drukari have been so much fun to play, and I think that's the best part of this goal is that I think I found a better play style for me. There you go. There you go. Uh, what about you, Jeff? Well, my mine was a bit more broad than that. I just wanted to become a better player in general. I, I was a fairly good player, but it, it I was at the point where I started wanting to get into more GTs and stuff, and when you make a big investment of like going to a GT for a weekend, you know, you want to do good. You don't just want to go 0-5, 0-6, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I decided that do that, I wanted to step my game up. I wanted to go to at least 20 RTTs this year and 5 GTs. All right. And so far, I've met the RTT goal, and I am one GT away from meeting that five. Awesome. Yay! And uh, last one's coming up in uh, November, actually, so... Well-timed. Awesome. What GT is it? It is uh, Du Bois GT in Rochester, New York. Awesome. That That is the, uh, quote, local one, the closest one that our, all of my gaming group goes to, and uh, it's uh, it's going to be good this year. Nice. It's going to be It's going to be a lot of fun. For context, Jeff is out east, and Eleanor is in Australia, and I'm here on the west coast, so all over the planet. It's, uh, it's it's everywhere I've gone. It's been a completely different meta. It's been very entertaining to learn it. I, that was kind of the funnest part of going out to Ottawa for a tournament. It was like, all everyone here is a stranger. This is beautiful. But my local meta for about a year was about seven out of eight players would be playing pure Imperial Knights, and I would I'll be playing Custodes, and I'd go to a store three hours away, and it would be seven eight different armies that i've never seen before and it's like oh <laughs> this is what it's like Ooh, nice uh that is an entire reason why it's good to travel if you can afford to do so it is absolutely worth it especially if you get a couple friends to go along with you oh yeah we have a whole episode about this well moving into our main topic which is personal favorite of mine and one i pushed for and incidentally get to run is goal making which is a very difficult thing to do for some people, and even people who are good at it can mess it up regularly. Because goal-making, at least in the way I understand it, it's actually a tool. It's not a skill. The skill that allows you to create goals is the skill of being realistic and also understanding where you need to go to achieve a goal which is a forethought skill. So it is skill-based, but it itself is a tool, specifically a tool for self-assessment or plotting a growing path. So if you want to get better, you need to make goals. 
you've probably heard this in school throughout the years is you got to take steps to get somewhere. Yeah, I would say that goal making is absolutely something that you can improve at. It's not something you're born with. Uh, Two years ago, I finished up my PhD, which I think is one giant exercise in becoming a better goal maker, Mm -hmm. setting realistic goals over very long time scales and making sure that you hit the mark on weekly, monthly, yearly time scales. And it didn't go well at first, but with time and practice and knowing how you know, your own personal motivations or your best times to work, you get better at meeting the goals that you make for yourself. That's true. Later part of this episode is going to be talking about failure explicitly and how important it is to the goal-making process. So one of the things failure teaches you is how to make better goals. Yeah. Just going to spoil that. Definitely. Do you have anything to add, Jeff? Uh, Goal-making itself, well, it's a tool. It's made up of dozens of different skills. And each one of those is extremely important to the process of doing it. And it's it's not just something that you can just write out and do. It's something that you have to take a lot of time and thought into. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing about goal making is it applies to all sorts of things in your life, as Eleanor said, your PhD, in my case, my career. It might be something as simple as buying a car might be a goal you get. So it's a good thing to invest time into, and that's why we're talking about it today, because it's legitimately important. We are going to talk about it in context of 40K, But remember, this goals apply to your whole life. There are types of goals. I gave them three different rankings, kind of based on the timeline they run on, because Eleanor mentioned very courteously that some goals take years to achieve, some take months, some take weeks, some can take days or hours. And that's the cool thing about goals is that they run over a span of time. So there's various levels of them, and... My goals are going to be very different than Sean's goals are going to be different than Josh's goals are going to be different than Eleanor's are going to be different than Jeff's. All of us have different goals because all of us are seeking to do different things and are at different stages as players. For example, a legendary goal I have, and this is one in my heart, and I may not actually be able to achieve this because it can be impossible, is to be the first woman to win the LVO. That'd be awesome. I think it's completely possible. Absolutely. I am years away from this goal, and I can tell you that because I know where I am as a player. I've never won a GT. I can't even try for LVO until I've started winning GTs with any regularity, or at least be competing for the top slot of a GT. So that legendary goal is impossible under my current situation, but I can work towards it by pushing hard and long for a very long time I can eventually get there, theoretically. Or just be a woman to win the LVGO. That's actually achievable. The first one might be stolen out from underneath me, but a woman would be awesome. <laughs> it would be awesome to have a woman win the LVO. I agree. <laughs> yes, seriously, that would be a baller. I think it would blow people's minds. Yeah. I would want to congratulate and hug and cherish this individual. It does not matter who she is at the end of the day. I think we need more women in the top of 40K. Agreed. Which is why I'm excited to hear that you've been doing so well, Eleanor. I think when you actually get down and look, start looking at stuff, you would be surprised at the amount of different types of people that are actually the top-level players in this game. Yeah. There's more than just the names you hear all the time. I, I know. Um, and one of the things is like the probability of playing a good player on your way up and getting your butt kicked and losing gets really high at the LVO. That it does. The LVO aside, it's okay to have a goal that is impossible in your current situation. These are goals that are super, super far away that might feel like pipe dreams, but the way you get there is you got to just keep taking steps until you eventually get there. And Nick Nadavati didn't start out as a good player. I promise you. He had to make goals to get there. Some say he even sold his soul to the devil for it. You know? Allegedly. Allegedly. (laughs) And then I have what I call major goals. And these are things that are more on a timeline of months. So, for example, it might be if you're someone who goes 3-2 and two or 3-3 three and three at a GT, it might be to go 4-1. and one. This is a goal that's a little more immediate, that's closer, but you're still going to have to work to get to. It's like you're not there yet, but if you put in work and you keep on your current directory, you should be able to catch it soonish. And then there's the idea of what I call a minor goal, which is should be almost doable right now. 
for example, I've won some RTTs. It's possible for me to do it again. So that's like a relatively minor goal. It's something I can reach. And it, a relatively minor goal might just be, I want to win this game I'm playing right now. Minor goals in the context of players' overall goals would be something they could be achieving in a matter of weeks or days. Very short term. As such, you can tell by the aspirations, it's like, okay, well, a legendary goal is to win the LVO. A major goal would be to do better than I have been doing at a GT and or win a GT. And then you have your minor goal, which is to just not lose all my games with pure Grey Knights at an RTT right now. <laughs> it, it also can be relative. Somebody's legendary goal might be to win an RTT. Yeah. You know, some guys can only go to one, two events a year sometimes. Yeah. As I said, this is the context. Like, Nick Nadavati, his minor goal isn't winning the RTT. His minor goal is probably winning the nearest GT he's gone to. That might be more of a minor goal for him. But his legendary goal might be to win the LVO and ITC again. That's still a really hard goal. Or it might be to be the captain of the American team again. I don't know what he's seeking. But he obviously has goals that are quite long-term that are beyond him that he is striving towards. And I think one thing to note here, we're keeping the goals here pretty broad, but the more specific you can make your goals, the better, and the more likely you are to be successful. Because it implies on some level you've gone through the thought process of breaking it down into steps. So it might be go three and two at a GT with Sisters of Battle or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's not overall winning of everything, but a reasonable increase of skill with a specific army. Like maybe you know you can go three and two with your Iron Hands list, <laughs> but it's a bit trickier to do with your Pure Sisters of Battle list. Uh, well, an example of a major goal I have right now is to win an RTT with an army that isn't Grey Knights, because I'm learning other armies right now. So that is definitely a thing for me that I've been working on and toward. As Eleanor said, specific is good. Actually, it's super, super good. And that is one of the most important things you should remember is what she said about specificness. Oh my god. Uh, it also implies that you understand the game enough to understand what the steps are. Also being clear about your specific goal of you, you know exactly what you want and be able to write it out, say it out, talk it out to somebody too. It makes it so much easier on yourself. Yeah. We'll get into how you achieve your goals and how you make them more realistic to yourself. But as I said, research is important and being specific is a demonstration you understand. So I think one kind of goal that doesn't neatly fall into this legendary goal, major goal, minor goal system is the idea of a habit-based goal. Mm -hmm. So this is something that a change you would like in your life that will lead to perhaps better performance within the 40k context, mm. but is not necessarily a week, month, or year timescale. It's a movement towards a an everyday type behavior. It might not be an everyday thing. It could be as something like practicing once a week, doing a practice game once a week, or doing a list review once a week. Mm -hmm. But something that you're trying to do that will have long-term consequences, but on maybe shorter time skills. So I would consider what you just described there as a step towards these goals. Mm. If you want to do a step better at a GT, you're going to have to practice a little bit more. That's a step in a goal process. But that said, having a goal of getting better habits, definitely true. That might be a long-term goal for you. So they, they can take very different forms, and that's kind of the elegance of goals. So transitioning really quickly, we've got what I, what I call in-game goals, and when I allude to thinking ahead, this is exactly what I'm talking about. So now we're going to extract Shaylin's autistic brain. She's going to lay it out for everybody. <laughs> Sorry in advance. There's kind of four sets of goal types I have here. I have what I call late game goals. These are usually things for turns four through six. And one of the late game goals is to win the game. <laughs> what a surprise. But... Another thing would be to have enough units to operate during that period. That's a late-term goal that you have to do in the previous turns to set it up. It might be that you need your army in a position to lunge onto objectives late game. Well, how does it get there? You start moving it turn one. 
that's what I mean by late term goals is like when you sit there in turns four, five, and six, things have settled after the initial round of blows. You need to have set up for that end game already, which gets us into mid game goals, which is that transition period because turns one and two, both armies smack into each other. Things have happened. That's when most of the destruction happens in a 40k game. After then, you are now transitioning into the end game. And you need to get yourself in a position where you can be successful in the endgame turns. So that's kind of turns three and four. And these are things like, all right, I have less stuff than I expected. I need to start being protective. I need to start being cagey. I need to get into the side of this Tau gun line one way or another. And I hope he doesn't kill me on the way in. So I need to like not be stupid about how I tackle it. That's a mid-game goal. And an early-game goal is something as simple as deploying correctly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or selecting targets correctly when you're shooting off your enemy's important stuff so that you don't have to worry about as much stuff in later game. That kind of thing. So that's either weathering or exchanging the first volley, deploying correctly, seizing initial tempo. Those are all early game goals. And then I have what I have to call immediate goals, which is... For example, in ITC, getting both the pulled and the kill one basic primary points in the current turn. That's an immediate goal. You should pick those up. And it might be something of, man, I really need to cast this one power so this unit doesn't die. That That's an immediate goal. There should always be a time that you should always be able to hold an objective and get a kill on the game. Yeah. There should always be a point in that game for that. Yes. And that's why specifically bot arm units in my army to go stand on objectives and do nothing but stand on objectives. I spent 20 points to do it. It's an important job. Right. You have the ability to hold and kill something each turn, but if you aren't thinking about it, it might not happen. Making sure it's a goal and that you know to achieve it every turn is the difference between getting it every turn and getting it 50% of the time. Exactly. It's the difference between leaving that one Tau schmuck alive and actually killing him off. Sometimes it's like, man, I'd love to shoot long strike, but if I don't kill that bastard sitting out there in the open, I ain't gonna get a kill this turn. Jeff, do you have any examples or things to add, kind of build off of these ideas of the in-game goals? All of these goals should be part of your overall plan for the game. You, you should go in with having an idea in your head, and then your goals are just how you execute the game. If you need to do this, how do I set myself up to be able to do it? How do I set myself up if it fails? Mm -hmm. it, it's it's all about thinking ahead, and that that's what's great about all of these. Just clearly laying out your goals, you have a plan, mm -hmm. you know how to execute it, and you're able to do all of it. I think in that sense, secondaries are a part of that initial goal-setting process. Hopefully your secondaries support your planned battle plan, mm -hmm. and they are goals to hit for the rest of the game that will hopefully continue along that path towards victory of course there might be some corrections mid and late game yeah but ideally the secondaries are a part of that goal setting process yes you should also consider that what what happens if you don't reach your goals for this turn what happens if you don't get you to hold one kill one for two turns is that going to be a bad thing for your game or is that going to be unexpected if you're playing a gsc player who doesn't put anything down turn one okay that's understandable but if you if you're playing a guard army and you have nothing but wyverns, let's say, they should be, you should be able to get a kill one. You should be able to get that goal. You're making a realistic goal out of that. Yes. And some lists don't care about doing the hold one or the kill one every turn. Maybe they are prepared to not make that goal the first turn or two because they will totally bowl their opponent over in turns three through six. And so I think just knowing what your path to victory is for a given matchup is Mm -hmm. going to be the most clear way of setting those goals. And what your general path to victory is for your army. For example, the Plague Bearer list is all about surviving an ungodly amount of time. It doesn't always do a lot of initial damage on the first turn, but turns three and four, it just starts grinding smites into your ass. That's not very fun. Getting a demon print up the back hole isn't always the best thing. Well, unless you're a Grey Knight, then you kind of just don't give a rat's ass, but that's a different problem. <laughs> you make up 5% of the field, it's okay. <laughs> Ouch. What, one of these days I'll see a Grey Knight player on the table. <laughs> yeah, probably me at LVO. Maybe this edition, maybe the next edition. I don't know. <laughs> There's also 
as Eleanor brought up earlier before we started the episode, is the idea of practice game goals versus tournament game goals, because these can be really different. Eleanor, do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I think of practice game goals as testing strategies, perhaps, rather than they can have goals associated with them, but they're not something that you would want to bring to a tournament setting where you're trying to sort of optimize your performance. A practice game goal is something like, well, I would really like to know how my army does going second against X, Y, and Z army. So I'm going to play a series of practice games where I go second over and over again to see how much I can weather that first turn strike. It can also be something like, I want to use a chess clock in the next five games or the next 10 games and see how I do. Mm-hmm. So a practicing goal is, for example, testing ideas or actively learning something about the list or the game is research. Your goal is research with practice games. Mm-hmm. And a tournament game, usually the goal is to win or at least tie. And if you lose, lose with big money, as I like to put it. Lose with a lot of points. So that's kind of the, the tournament goal progression, because theoretically you're going into the tournament to win if you're competitive. Now, comma, it might be your goal is to win games that are achievable for you to win. So it might be like, say, Josh at the Capital City Bloodbath played against Steve Pamprine. He wasn't expecting to win that game. He was expecting to lose and learn as much as he could having that experience to playing against Pamprine. That's what his goal was walking into that game. I'm not expecting to win. I'm expecting to learn a ton. So sometimes that can happen at tournaments where you're like, oh man, I'm going to play against a really powerful player. This is a great learning opportunity. I'm going to milk it. That's actually a really positive way of looking at it because Mm -hmm. being realistic also involves managing your expectations. And when you can phrase it as that positive outcome, you're still achieving a goal even if you lost. Mm -hmm. That makes you feel happy at the end of the game even though the result wasn't a win. Yes, and as as we stated, goals are a very personal thing. So you can define them. Sometimes when I'm losing a game, my goal might be, to heck with the ITC mission, I'm killing Magnus! I can't tell you how many times that's given me a more positive experience where it's like, I'm not trying to win at this point. I have a specialty goal I've given myself that I can consider a success condition. Because if you feel like you succeeded, you don't get depressed after the game. I got to play against uh, Nick Natavati round two at Beef and Wing. And uh, he- here I am, and all of a sudden I see this name pop up, and I- here I am start freaking out. Uh-huh. So we end up getting into the game, and all of a sudden I'm keeping up with him on points, and I'm catching him off guard with little stuff, and he's kind of feeding me stuff, and it's going back and forth. And if I had picked better secondaries, if I had planned out my game better, it would have been a very much closer game, and I could have possibly won that one. But I was being able to keep up with him, and I, number one, I learned so much from that game, more than I've learned from a month of playtesting, mm-hmm. being able to play against that type of stuff. And guys like that are more than happy to talk to you after the game about what you did and things like that. And you can take all of that and put it into your mental notebook if you need to, so to speak, and you can use that again and again and again. Oh, yeah. Bless his heart, Jeff Robinson and I had a baller game and a baller post-game talk. And I miss him dearly, and I will tell you that I'm a better player for having done that. Even if I had my ass royally kicked that game. I think this is absolutely a life application as well. The setting of realistic goals is the thing that keeps you positive through some of the ups and downs, and seeing things as learning experiences as opposed to just the outright win is essential for maintaining long-term mental health. Yeah. And sometimes, as we pointed out, while your goal might be to win, there's a great phase out of uh, racing, specifically out of the Indy 500. I don't remember who said it. I think it was one of the racers said, you want to finish first, but first you got to finish. And that's goal making and reasonable expectations right there. Because cars don't finish the Indy 500. It's 500 laps. (laughs) That is not easy on your engine or on you or on anything. So finishing is still an achievement and should be remarked as such. All right, transitioning a little bit more. We're going to spend a little moment talking about how to kind of keep track of your goals because that's important too. 
When I first started out in this game, I got was just me and a buddy in a basement, going back and forth every single week, playing game after game after game. It absolutely great fun. But when I started, wanted to start taking the game more seriously, I I, I had to stop and take a back look at myself. Of, I'm not the great at, greatest at remembering stuff, so I'm just gonna keep track of all my games. Get a notebook. I'll write down what I did. I did this on this turn. Take a couple pictures with my phone, stuff like that, and I was able to go back at it and say, well. Clearly, this isn't working. I don't know why I'm using Chimeras in the 8th edition. Mm-hmm. Why, why am I bringing 12 of those? Okay, so let's change that. And over time, I'm able to morph it, and I write down my thoughts. And it, it's always something you can always go back to of, hey, maybe I should try this. Oh, I tried it three months ago, and I did this X, Y, and Z. And it is absolutely essential to having a goal. Being able to keep track of yourself and being good at assessing it. Yes. Uh, as... We alluded to in the last episode where we were talking about the hunter and how Josh was very successful with it. That came out of practice and note taking, literally. Eleanor, I know you also have a system. Could you? I guess I'm not sure if I've set perhaps any legendary goals for myself, but major goals. This idea of the winning a GT, something that I don't know will happen, say next month, maybe next year. I keep a spreadsheet of my, I guess, path through a tournament. So I keep track of my total ITC points, but also like win-loss records. And for quick reference, I have a set of my scorecards from a particular tournament sort of in order so I can go back and reference particular games or uh, particular matchups against an army. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think from a tournament analysis standpoint, the sort of paper trail is messy, and I think it's really awesome that the ITC Battles app is so easy to use and becoming so much more popular because it is an incredibly easy way of searching through, okay, where are all the games that I took engineers as my secondary? Mm-hmm. How did I do on them? And it is a an honest accounting of your performance in a particular aspect that is critical to mm-hmm. self-correcting and setting new goals to achieve. On the short term, so when I go into a game, I will, when I'm sizing up the army and I'm choosing secondaries, I will note things. I don't know if this is a, a goal per se, but things I need to remember about that specific matchup. Do I want to try and use this anti-psyker stratagem that I have in my back pocket that I rarely use but could work out great in this matchup? I'll write myself a note at the top of my score sheet. Um, if I know I need to be really careful about emergency disembarkations from transports, I'll write that on top of my score sheet because they're all corrections that I will need to make for a particular matchup. And they don't have a lot of utility for sort of long-term goals. They're very specific to the matchup and the terrain on hand, but they're critical for reassessing after turn one, turn two, turn three, what you need to do to win. That's really excellent. Basically, you're writing um, immediate goals to keep mindful of that are non-standard. Yes, (laughs) So that's fantastic technique. Often I get in like tournament mode where I don't hear other people. Like I don't notice what's going on around me. I get incredibly focused on the game. And if I don't have some way of coming up for air and having these checks as to am I on track still, it it can be a slow, painful path to tabling. Yeah. So one of the things I also do on the goals is I write on my tournament packet that I've taken away from the tournament, I write how I'm feeling after every game emotionally, because I get emotionally stimulated, so I need to keep track of that. So it's more like, how many social points did I burn this game? And I actually have a system for that, but I do keep track of that. And I also, post-tournament, it's like, okay, was there units in my army that were dragging in ways I wasn't expecting? Were things not interacting the ways I wasn't expecting? So when I go back and do my post-tournament analysis, I have that commentary game by game on my player packet. So I can look at that, and then I can also like talk about things where it's just like, ah, man, I needed to blow up that Castellan, and I failed to do so, and I lost the game. That sucked. Yeah, sometimes it can be hard to see those things in the moment, and so the reflection after the fact is incredibly useful. Yes, and it's also important to have like a soundboard for that, because Sean can t- bluntly tell me, Shaylin, why didn't you kill your Castellan? And I'm like, Sean, I appreciate you saying this, but I want to cry right now. Can I cry right now, and then you can tell me that? <laughs> oh. Yeah, having someone who knows 
when to give you emotional space or when to talk if you're ready to talk about the loss or not can be useful yes th this is why i'm a big advocate for giving yourself space to be emotional you can never keep too much write too much stuff down you can never take too many notes in this scenario the more you have the better I mean, I personally just use my phone and record a little bit of audio of me talking because I don't have fast handwriting. So I just record myself yakking at a tournament. It's pretty funny. I I definitely like to take... I'm a great fan of photographs, though. Number one, they always look great. You take action shots of your models and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But you can always go back, take like your deployment, and then do like the end of round one, then do round three, and then you can kind of see what played out and all... You, you start to notice trends with the way you play when you compare pictures together. Yeah. One game next to another game, all of a sudden you can see how, you know, what you're moving wrong, where you're deploying badly. Not using terrain, etc. All right. Speaking of space, the buzzer for summons, for the meal summons, has gone off. So we need to go hoister down up and line up. Or in my case, go back to our little inquisitional hideout and eat there with the servitor nice food. I heard it's chicken tenders tonight. Yeah, it's it might be actually food. Um, so we'll catch you all on the flip side of the episode and hear about a little bit about what happened there. And yeah. Greetings, Wargamers. Let me tell you about the Dots RPG Project. It's a nonprofit organization aiming to create gaming aids such as tactile braille dice and transcribing braille rule books and other gaming aids to help various individuals with disabilities, both intellectual and physical, get into gaming in our local communities. I highly advise sending some money their way. They're doing some really good work. And we are back, all well fed up. I discovered the wine was unpleasantly dry again. But other than that, I am fine. How did your meal go for the two of you? Mm. Mm, chicken in the 30, 41st millennium is not what I thought it would be. Sorry to hear that. Uh, Lieutenant kept trying to come in and give a pin of metal on me, but I mean, you get chicken tendies once a month, so you know what? I'll live with it. <laughs> That's true. Guard life is crap life. All right, back into the action here. Yeah. In the first half, we were talking about and defining what goals were and kind of giving you some examples of what we meant by these kind of goals and how to keep track of them. Let's continue on to exploring the skills you need for good goal making. And one we mentioned at the beginning of the episode was how to be realistic. Hard to do and something I'm always optimizing and re-optimizing. I think this is the hardest part of all of this. It really is. It, being being honest with yourself is really hard to do for a lot of people. Well, even me, and I'm one of the most honest people I know. Because mm. I don't see a point in lying. Not everybody can be honest, Abe. Um, so, Jeff, do you want to start us off? So, being honest with yourself is one of those things where you can't just go up and say, man, I'm really bad at this game. That That's not going to help you with anything. You, you're here because you want to get better at it, and you're making the goals as one of the first steps of that. Talking to people about the stuff of, Talk to the guy who doesn't like your list and find out why he doesn't like your list. I guarantee 90% of the people around you when you play games are more than happy to help you. One of the great things about it is there's so many approachable people. There's guys who played the game for a day, there's guys who played it for over 20 years before it was even called Warhammer. Mm -hmm. People like to be helpful. People like helping. It, it's a very good positive, feel-good, endorphin-getting thing to do. So, especially if you use the words help... Mm -hmm. you will get a lot of mileage out of talking to other players about what's going on with you and your list and your level. And you really want to spot out the good players, the guys that are going to 3-0s at events, the guys who go to GTs and events regularly. You don't necessarily want to go to the guy who's just kind of showed up at the shop. It's first time playing the army type of thing. It, it, it's go find the guys that are better than you, go, go or that you think are better than you, and talk to them about it. Mm-hmm. 
a, a favorite of mine is I ask a cynic. Sean is a very cynical person. Really? Didn't notice. So I hand him something and he goes, garbage! <laughs> and throws my list on the table in front of me. I'm like, all right, let's fix it. That doesn't sound like Sean Morgan at all. <laughs> That's what he's like when he's a little less podcasty. <laughs> <laughs> but we're also sitting there eating pizza and this is the fifth list I've given him that night. So maybe he's onto something there. <laughs> We all got that one friend that we send 20 lists to in a day, and at some point you just ask, what's the difference between this one and the first one? <laughs> yeah. Eleanor, do you have anything to help with our silliness? Yeah, so I think being realistic can be hard, maybe challenging, especially if you don't have a good idea of types of goals that are achievable and on what time scale. And so a way to see how realistic you are is to set a goal for setting goals. Mm -hmm. What I would maybe recommend is... Think about the next game you're about to play and think of three things that you know that will be easy to achieve and three things that you think will be impossible to achieve and try and set some goals that are half and half easy versus impossible to start setting the framework for types of things that are reach versus easily achievable. And that will help you in future games to start selecting goals that are realistic, mm. not over the moon crazy, but they're not right off easy. Yeah, that is true. It's just like, I'm going to select these three goals and I'm going to use it as a litmus test to see how good I am at setting the goals. That is definitely great. Another thing is research. Like, if you know a lot about the game, you should kind of have a sense of what goals should be. That's because you have the right context to which to look at them. Another favorite of mine is the whole, okay, I have a goal. So I insert the name of a player who's about at my level, and then I insert my goal and see, is that goal achievable for them? Question mark? And if the answer is no, maybe you need to look at it for how achievable it is to you. Uh, as just kind of like a way to break it out of you and break it into someone else. It kind of depersonalize it so you're not like being held to it the same way. That's actually a great idea. Absolutely. Yeah. And another context, as Eleanor said with the litmus test, is you can look back at goals you've had and how successful you have and haven't been. Totally a great way to move forward with goal making. And I mean, for some people, it's like, okay, well, I've got the context and stuff, but I'm not really certain what, where I should go or goals I should do. But have, finding inspiration for goals is important, too. And one of the most obvious places to go is other players. <laughs> What did they do when the, you were, like, sitting there having goal block? Finding the inspiration is the most, probably the most important step of all of this. Of why do you actually want to do this? And, and if it's if it's strong in inspiration, you'll, you're going to do it. And you're going to find a way to do it. Mm -hmm. But if the inspiration is just, I just want to go up and get launched, that's not really going to be, you know, that's not going to get you much. You should align your goals with things you want to do. If your goal is to go to a tournament, slam back some drinks and meet like five to six people and just have a good time, you'll probably achieve that goal every time. That's the Warhound Titan guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was wooden spoon at LBO. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Another inspiration would be to say, hey, I'm kind of at a loss here. What did you guys do when you got to this point? Well, I did blank. Or... I went and asked so-and-so and then did blank. Or, I don't know yet either. I'm just here to have fun today because I don't know. Maybe I'll figure it out when I'm playing. And now we're finally, finally going back to the important part is failure. I'm going to hog the mic here a little bit because I want to talk about there's this gentleman, Coach Daryl Royal. He was a Texas Longhorns coach for the University of Texas. And he would constantly write his players inspirational letters and such. I'm not going to read the whole letter off to you, but I'm going to read kind of the last couple sentences, which completely describes the essence of failure. You should ask yourself how you feel when you are defeated. Are you blaming others, feeling depressed, or are you filled with passion, ready to take the challenge again? This fall, every single one of you playing on the field will taste defeat. There's no player in the world who has not lost before. However, the best players will give everything they've got to stand up again. Ordinary players will take a while to get back on their feet, while losers will remain flat on the field. Holy crap. Preach. <laughs> it's deep. 
He's an American football coach for context. That's who Daryl Royal was. 40K is no different in the competitive sense. When you go into a tournament and get your butt handed to you and that was not your expectation, how you address that failure is very, very important. I had my butt handed to me at LVO and that was not an expectation I had. It did not meet my expectations at all. I did terribly. I was upset. Very, very lame time for me. And afterward, I sat down and went, I have to make a change. Because what has happened was not okay. And I said, okay, I really have to stop delaying studying other armies. And that's why I decided to do that. Because that's partly why I lost. I didn't understand how other armies worked. Sometimes it can be or putting off studying or practicing with some other army. It also can be you haven't appropriately set up the steps to achieve your goal. Mm-hmm. I know a big personal roadblock I often encounter is you know I write a to-do list, I write a list of goals, and they're too big. They don't seem feasible to achieve. Mm-hmm. And that's because I haven't broken them down into bite-sized pieces that don't seem overwhelming and that I don't want to look at the to-do list ever again. And so it's critical for me to make sure that I know exactly what the path will look like and I can set up check-in points mm-hmm. so that if I don't achieve that goal later, I can at least know how far I made it or at what step did I mess up? Where do I actually have to go back and focus to reachieve that goal? Yes. Um, And in 40k, the whole part of like getting back up, doing everything you can to stand back up, that is when you turn your failure into the power that drives your success. What did you learn? How can I turn this disaster into a strength moving forward? And in that case, it reinvigorated me to study other armies. And that's been very helpful. I've been kicking the living crap out of Tau with pure Grey Knights because I understand Tau now. Getting smacked out like that is real, real hard at the moment. And that's, you just got to take that step away and think about it real hard. Mm-hmm. And getting back up on the horse is the hard, hard part of this. Mm-hmm. But if you can do it, if you can do it once, then you can do it again and again and again and again. Yeah. It takes some mental fortitude to do it. And that's why it's okay. It's okay to be depressed about it in the moment. And it's okay to be depressed about it a little bit afterwards. That's actually okay. But if you can basically be like, dang it, I lost. I'm going to find a way to not let this happen again. And you basically turn it into a you, you slingshot out of the depression and come out stronger and faster. That's how you need to lose. And you need to lose big. You need to crash and burn a couple times because that's going to strengthen you. There's so much strengthening and learning you can get out of failure because it teaches you how to lose. And because you know how to lose, you now know how to win. You learn more from a losing game than you do from a winning game. Brandon Grant will be the first person to tell you that. Jeez, I can't tell you many other people will tell you that. It's super, super true and super, super important. So you need to take failure as a source of strengthening and growth. That might take time for you to learn how to deal with it that way, but that is definitely what failure needs to be. Failure's the better teacher. Well, it turns out you can succeed badly. So when you do succeed with your goals, one of the things you have to do is you have to kind of doubt yourself, which is awkward. Was this luck or was this me really doing it? Was this goal too easy? Did I achieve a goal that even matched up with my major and legendary goals that I had set earlier? These are all things you need to ask yourself. And you shouldn't be super, super cynical, but sometimes it's like, I just got lucky there. Basically means you haven't achieved your goal yet. But if you really did it, then you should be really proud of yourself. You know? It all comes back to being able to assess yourself and where you're standing and what you're doing. And it it takes a lot of practice. But there's ways to speed up that process and make it easier on yourself. There definitely are. And the other thing you need to do with success is sometimes it's not easy to see what the success is. Sometimes the success is looking back and going, Huh, I don't lose my cool in the middle of the game anymore. Now that I think about it. That can be a way you have to look at it is like, well, now let's look at this little thing like Eleanor talked about, like these habits, like, yeah, I actually have been doing that habit. I have noticed that things have gotten a little easier for me. Huh. But those are things that are subtle and they can take months before you realize they're actually doing anything. That could be the difference between four and one and three and two. Winning record, losing record, going five and oh, even. 
Yes, remembering that, you know, going from point A to point B, while you are ultimately on an upward trajectory, there can be a lot of ups and downs, despite that overall upward trend. And so you might be in sort of a local minimum, so to speak, but you've still made progress. Exactly. So when you've succeeded, this is kind of one of the most important parts of succeeding is making a new goal. It's like, oh, good, I got this goal. I achieved this whatever type of goal it was. Now I need to make a new one. Because the process never ends. You have to keep making goals and you have to keep striving. Then the last thing that's kind of the most important part of success to me is be ready to fail again. Couldn't agree more. Because you just succeeded, which means it's time to try something new and fail again. Which is awkward. Try for the best. Because it's like, I just won! Yeah, but but you gotta get better, which means you have to start sucking again. You, you gotta plan for the best, you gotta try for the best, but you gotta be ready for that failure. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, uh, Flynn of Adventure Time just says, sucking at something is the first step into being sort of good at something. He's really on the docket there. <laughs> this is the important part of the process. So you gotta remember that it's like, okay, now that I'm sort of good at something, it's time to suck again. Every time you start a new army, yeah, you go, you go back down to the zero and you gotta do it all again. Do you two have anything to add so far? The thing you're gonna find is you go along this path and you start setting goals... You start out, it's, you just gotta know the fundamentals of the game, and what to do and what not to do. But the further along you get, the more you have to know, the more you have to practice, the more you have to do. And it gets harder and harder and harder. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a lot easier to get to the point to win an RTT than it is to win an RTT to a GT, and then going from a GT to an LVO type of thing. Each one of those multiplies upon itself. Exponentially harder. Absolutely. You gotta keep that in mind. It's not just a straight path. No. And as you said, the difficulty is not, it's not linear. <laughs> Definitely true. And uh, what is it that that saying that I see on the internet sometimes is like, video games have taught me that if it's harder, the direction I'm going, that's a good sign. That means I'm getting towards the end. Yeah. Eleanor, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I was thinking about one of your earlier episodes when um, you talked about how to gauge your be realistic about where you are in the game in terms of like your level. And I love this idea of 40k is a you're building experience points. Mm-hmm. And just because you've leveled up, so to speak, doesn't mean that every, you know, you went three and two at a GT doesn't mean you're going to go three and two at every GT mm-hmm. for the next six months. You've built up your experience points, but you know, you still have many more experience points left to go before you get to leveling up. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of goal-making is patience with yourself. I'd like to take a moment right here at the end of the episode to talk about two examples of goal-making. One's a success story and one's a failure story, and I think they're both impressive and important to know. First off, we're going to start with Matt Rutt. He won the ITC back in 2017, if I recall correctly. It was the last 7th edition one. Matt Rutt won the ITC and set that goal because he'd won Adepticon. And he said, huh, I actually got a shot. So he decided whether or not he wanted to even go for that goal. And then he thought about it for a really long time because Matt Rutt is now Dr. Matt Rutt. He's a uh, pediatrician now. And he sat there and went, I need to go to the best med school possible and I need something that's going to blow people away on my resume. So what if I win the ITC? That's going to step me off the page. And that was his goal and his motivation. And then he won the ITC. Also, for the record, Batroot's a great guy. Oh, yeah. He's he's a wonderful human being. 100% recommend meeting and chatting with him. And the second goal I'd like to listen to, and you can actually also listen to, is Adam Rabramowitz, the best general. He has a whole podcast about his goal and striving to achievement and then failing. At the very end, he almost makes it. He went from a no-name player to the coach of the ETC American team in a year. So he might not have gotten the win the Warzone Atlanta story, but he definitely became someone else. And that's really cool. So there's someone who took failure and moved forward with it in a really positive and awesome way. So I'd recommend checking out his podcast a little bit. The first season is pretty terrific. Matt Rutt's story is also, like, he set this goal. He went out to BAO as part of his goal, which is how I first met him. So it's pretty cool, the way you look at those kind of two stories. 
we're about done here, so we're going to wrap it up. If you have any questions, concerns, or what have you, you can email us at inthefinesthour.com. If you would like access to the Discord, the private Facebook group, or just more abilities to communicate with the hosts of this podcast, become a patron on Patreon. It's $5 a month. And our sponsors are Dank Muse, as always, providing our dank, dank music. You can find him at Patreon, SoundCloud, and YouTube. We have Rylan Woodrow, who does our awesome iconography. You can find him on Facebook. And we have Stephanie Sherman, who does our t-shirts. Again, also available on Facebook and Instagram. And finally, uh, if you are interested in advertising to us, please shoot us an email or a message via Facebook, and we'll sort something out. Next episode, well... Let's just say it's going to be a surprise, but if you want to be one of the first to find out, you should join Patreon. Nice plug. Hey, I see what you did there. Boom, nailed it. (laughs) Uh, Eleanor and Jeff are both patrons of our podcast, and they are both pretty awesome players in their own arenas, which is one of the reasons they were on tonight. I will also note that it is a community that is marvelously supportive and is extremely open to people of all sorts of backgrounds. So if you're looking for a 40k community where you're not going to run into white nationalists or something like that, this is a great place to start. (laughs) I have this hammer. It says ban on the side of it. I will hit them in the head with it. You you won't find that guy anywhere in the Patreon. Yeah, no. In the Facebook group, nothing. We don't believe in that guy. He's not allowed to be in that space. Mostly because I have none of us have any patience for that guy. Well, other than the one that's named that guy in the group, but we don't talk about him. (laughs) (laughs) That guy actually isn't that guy. No, he's that guy. (laughs) He's actually pretty cool. Uh, So stupid puns of people's usernames aside, this has been Shaylin Allen, Eleanor Byler, and Jeffrey Hanson. Thank you for listening. Bye. Adios. Adios.